everyone, everyone. My name is Jamon McKinney, or you can just call me Juice because that is my nickname. Welcome, everyone, to the Juice Alert. If you have not subscribed to the Juice Alert already, be sure to do that right about now. You will not, you will not regret it. You can find me on YouTube as well as podcasting platforms that include Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that great stuff. I have an excellent show lined up for you guys today. This is episode number 16 of the Juice Alert. We're going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about Kawhi Leonard as well. Are Giannis and Kawhi Leonard both overrated as players? We'll discuss that. I will be ranking all of all 32 NFL coaches in the NFL at the moment into tiers, and I will tell you who's the most underrated head coach, who's the most overrated head coach, all that great stuff. We'll talk about Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield. We have a great show lined up for you guys today, man. I cannot wait. Before I do get started and jump into my first topic right here, right off the bat, I do want to say that you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to connect with me at a at a higher level, you know, if you want to troll me, if you want to hit me up on social media, just hit me up. My name is Jamon McKinney, or you can just call me Juice, like I said earlier, because that is my nickname. Some people call me Juice, some people call me Jamon. My name is spelled G-H-I-M-A-N, Jamon McKinney. On Instagram, you can find me at... G-H-I-M-A-N underscore M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. Uh, the Juice Alert Instagram is the Juice Alert underscore. You can find me on Twitter as well at G-H-I-M-A-N-M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y on Twitter. So without further ado, guys, let's get right into the show, man. I have a lot of great stuff to talk about. So first, I want to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo. So the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, won the 2020 NBA MVP a couple days ago over one LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I made an episode about uh, addressing this topic roughly about two months ago, stating that Giannis would get my vote for NBA MVP for the 2020 NBA season. And so far today, guys, I'm going to be that bad guy. I'm going to say Giannis deserved the MVP over LeBron James. See, Here's, the, here's what people have to understand. Let me be very clear. LeBron James is a better player than Giannis Antetokounmpo. No one's going to argue that Giannis is better than LeBron unless they're delusional and don't know what they're talking about, okay? LeBron James has been to nine NBA Finals. He is probably going to go back this year due to the fact that I don't think the Denver Nuggets match up particularly well with the Los Angeles Lakers. That series will probably be over in about five games, even though I did predict the other night for the um, series to go six games in favor of the Lakers, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, LeBron, excellent passer. He's unstoppable around the basket. He can create his own shot. There are flaws to Giannis's game, and I do want to say that Luka Doncic and James Harden probably deserved a couple more first-place votes than they got, but here's the thing, people. When it comes to the MVP, it doesn't always go to the best player. It's about who's having the best season at the moment who's having the most dominant season, and who's the most valuable player and the most dominant player during a particular season. Listen, Russell Westbrook has won an won a MVP. At that time, he deserved the MVP, and no one's going to argue that Russell Westbrook was ever the best player in the NBA at any point. Steve Nash has won multiple MVPs. He was never the best player in the NBA at one point, okay? Once again, it's about who's having the best season during that year. 
And Giannis, this is not arguable, people. Giannis had more points per game. He had more rebounds. He had a better field goal percentage. He had a better effective field goal percentage. And not to mention, he had the best record in basketball on the Milwaukee Bucks. He led that Milwaukee Bucks team to the best record in the entire NBA, okay? LeBron James led his team in one category, one category only, assist. Anthony Davis, you could make the argument, might have deserved the MVP over LeBron James, okay? You can at least make that argument. That argument is out there to be made, potentially. You may lose that argument, but you can at least somewhat make that argument. Anthony Davis, he averaged the most points per game on the Lakers this past year. He was their leading rebounder, and he was their best defender as well. LeBron James wasn't even the best scorer and the best defender on his own team. Meanwhile, Giannis is out there almost averaging 30 points per game and just won Defensive Player of the Year an award that he actually deserved, in my opinion. Let's look at LeBron James and Giannis' stats side by side. LeBron James, in 34 minutes playing on the court, averaged 25 points per game, 49% shooting, 34% for three, 7.8 rebounds, 10 assists. Giannis, in 30 minutes playing, so in four less minutes played than LeBron James, Giannis, more points per game at 29.5. Better field goal percentage, 55% from the field. Three-point percentage doesn't really matter. Giannis shot 30% from three. Giannis had 13.6 rebounds and 5.6 assists. I guarantee you that if, if you flipped LeBron James and Giannis at the Kupo stat lines for this year, guess what? If LeBron did not win that MVP award and he had the best record in basketball like Giannis, and Giannis somehow found a way to win the MVP award, you would have Bron Sexuals and LeBron James fanboys trying to get petitions to get some of these voters fired. That's what would have happened, people. That's the reality. The goalpost always moves with players when compared to LeBron James. And I love LeBron. LeBron is a great player. He's a top five player of all time. Is he the greatest basketball player of all time? No, he's not. If he wins two more titles, he might be. Okay, but listen, man, you guys have to stop this. And keep in mind, Here's a great comparison. In 2009 and 2010, LeBron James won back-to-back NBA MVPs, very similar to Giannis. In fact, in 2009, LeBron James lost in the conference finals that year. Same thing as Giannis, Giannis last year. And by the way, I actually think that James Harden deserved the MVP over Giannis last year. But that's a, that's a whole other story for another day, okay? I'm arguing for Giannis this year, but I argued against him last year. But that, that's another story for another day, okay? And same thing happened to Giannis last year. He won the MVP, lost in the conference finals. LeBron James, in 2010, had a 66-win Cleveland Cavaliers team and lost in the second round. Giannis had the best record in basketball this year, and he lost in the second round just like LeBron James lost in the second round back in 2010, and no one had an outrage that LeBron James should not have won MVP because of the way he did in the postseason. People. The award is a regular season award. It's not taking into account what you do in the postseason. That's just the harsh reality that you people need to wrap wrap your arms around and wrap your mind across because everyone keeps bringing up to me, well, Giannis choked in the playoffs. LeBron's still playing. And yes, LeBron is the better player. And I guarantee you that LeBron James would much rather win an NBA Finals MVP rather than a regular season MVP award. But that does not justify the fact that LeBron should be MVP. And keep in mind, When Steph Curry and Kevin Durant joined forces, they were virtually canceled by the media. 
as being MVP candidates. You want to know why? Because the media said, oh, Kevin Durant joined a great team. He joined Steph Curry. They're both interchangeable. They can, they both cancel each other out. Neither can win the MVP because they're both great players. Well, when LeBron James joins Anthony Davis, the same thing does not apply to one LeBron James. It's almost like LeBron James is more so Queen James than King James because every time the goalpost continues to move for these other players, okay? And listen, I've heard this multiple times. LeBron's in his 17th season. That's the reason he's the MVP. Age does not factor into who should win the MVP. And might I ask you, Who's Giannis' best teammate? His best teammate is Chris Middleton. LeBron James has the luxury of playing beside Anthony Davis, one of the five to seven best players in the NBA at the moment. And keep in mind, for most of this season, we've heard the MVP race being between Luka and Giannis early in the season. We've heard people throw in James Harden versus Giannis, you know, after a couple months of the season, once Luka kind of died down. And the later part of the season, it was LeBron James versus Giannis. That should tell you all you need to know. Giannis has been in the conversation from day number one. And despite choking in the playoffs, he 100% earned that MVP award. And no one can change my mind. Please stop crying, LeBron James fanboys and Bron sexuals, because there's nothing you can do about it. And Giannis, he deserved that MVP award over LeBron James. Stop crying, people. Please, just stop it, okay? So enough uh, ranting about LeBron James and Giannis. Let's dive into what makes an NFL head coach elite. Very shortly in the next segment, I'm going to rank all 32 head coaches in the National Football League in order based on tiers. I'll give you who's the who's a tier one coach, who's a tier two coach, who's a tier three coach, who's a tier four coach, and who's a who's an unknown coach. You know, the Joe Judges of the world, uh, the Kevin Stefanskis of the world, rookie head coaches that have not proven themselves yet. But I want to go over what is my definition of an elite head coach. And a little spoiler alert, spoiler alert right here. The elite coaches that I have in tier number one are in no particular order. Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, and Sean Payton. And that's one, two, three, four. That's six head coaches. That's six head coaches in the elite tier as of 2020 in September in which I'm recording this episode. And by the way, Pete Carroll, he's very, very close. Uh, I'll, I'll explain later in this episode why Pete Carroll is not quite an elite head coach. I do think that his lack of adjustments at times has kind of hurt him, you know, as of right now. You know, a couple of years ago, Pete Carroll, he was an elite head coach, but I think that he just misses out on being elite just because of his refusal to use Russell Wilson the correct way and his refusal to make adjustments. But what do all six of these head coaches do well that make them elite? I look at six things when evaluating how good a head coach is. Number one, do they have a presence about them? Number two, are they a great decision maker? Number three, are they organized? Number four, can they make adjustments? Number five, do they understand the personnel on their team and adjust accordingly to that? And number six, do they know X's and O's and are they a football genius or sort of a little bit creative, okay? You have to at least know X's and O's to a certain degree. So are you football smart? Do you know X's and O's, okay? When I talk about presence, I think about coaches like Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin that can command a locker room. Players respect them. They listen to them. 
there's a little bit of a fear factor when you come across Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin and, you know, um, some of these coaches, you know. The, the players respect those guys. They listen to those guys. The problem with Freddie Kitchens a year ago in Cleveland was no players respected the guy. That's the same thing with Adam Gates. There's no presence to Adam Gates. He does not captivate towards the locker room. So that's what I mean about presence. Those six coaches, they have a presence about them. Number two. All, all these head coaches are pretty good decision makers in high leverage moments, especially Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, when it's fourth and one, when he has to go for it on, you know, fourth and five, if there's a big thir third down situation, I think Doug Peterson is actually one of the better head coaches in the NFL at figuring out what play is going to work and allowing his team to execute that play. The same thing can be said for Andy Reid and sometimes Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh, you know, all these guys, they make the right decisions in the high leverage moment. Do I kick a field goal right here? Do I go for it on fourth down? Should I punt the football right here? You know, situational football. Those guys figure it out. That's what makes these guys elite. Number three, are you organized? How prepared are you? Do you preserve your timeouts? There was a prime example of a bad example of this this past Monday night on Monday Night Football with Vic Vangio, the Denver Broncos head coach, Pretty much, in my opinion, probably lost the Broncos the game just because he failed to use his timeouts correctly down the stretch to preserve time for his team to try to drive down the field and kick a game-winning field goal. Now, I'm not saying that Drew Locke and McCrew would have won the game because it's not a guarantee that you go down the field uh, about 60 yards and kick that game-winning field goal. A lot of things have to go into that into that process, but Vic Vangio did a poor job of putting his team in position to have enough time on the clock to drive down the field and kick a game-winning field goal. He did a poor job of that. So I look at guys like Andy Reid, John Harbaugh, you know, Bill Belichick. These guys are organized. They never are spending timeouts in the wrong way. Sometimes Andy Reid is a prisoner of that, but Andy Reid, he's been to two Super Bowls. You know, he's an excellent head coach. I think he's probably the best head coach since Bill Belichick. He has some flaws, but, you know, look at these guys. All these guys are organized in their own way, okay? Number four, can you make adjustments? And not just adjustments week to week, not just adjustments drive to drive, but adjustments play to play. These guys can make adjustments week to week. They can make adjustments on the fly, you know, right when they need to, drive to drive. And they can do that sometimes on a play-by-play -play basis like the Andy Reeds and Sean Paytons of the world, okay? Also, number five, I think Sean Payton, is probably the league leader in this category as far as understanding the personnel that you have put in place and knowing what my team can do and what my team can do. Sean Payton is so excellent at figuring out what players are good at and what players are bad at, and he maximizes those players' strengths and hides their weaknesses. Bill Belichick is very good at this too, you know. I see so many coaches in the NFL try to make players be something that they are not. These guys, they're excellent. They figure out what players what players do well and where their weaknesses. They hide those weaknesses, and they use those players accordingly. And last but not least, these head coaches are pretty creative. They know football. They're football smart. They're creative. They're smart. They're not they're they're not stubborn. They're not rigid. That's a big reason why Pete Carroll is not in this kind is not in this category anymore as of September 2020 because he refuses to make adjustments. These guys are football smart. They they know X's and O's. Doug Peterson, Sean Payton, Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, not Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick. All those guys are very creative and smart, and they know their football. So that, in my opinion, is the whole totality of my definition 
of an elite head coach. Head coaches that have a great presence about them. Head coaches that make great high leverage, that, that are great in high leverage decision moments. Coaches that are organized. Coaches that make adjustments. Coaches that know their personnel and adjust accordingly. And head coaches that ultimately know a lot about the X's and O's of the game. That is what ultimately makes an elite head coach, in my opinion. Okay, so before I dive into officially ranking these head coaches, I have to get this off my chest because I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised about a guy that I have in the, in the elite tier. I already mentioned him earlier. That guy is Doug Peterson. I believe as of right now, in September of 2020, Doug Peterson is an elite head coach. I believe that he's one of the six to seven best coaches in the NFL at the moment, and I believe that he's an elite head coach, okay? You know, I have Belichick, Tomlin, Andy Reid, John Harbaugh, and Sean Payton ranked ahead of him. So right now, I have, him about, I have him about as the sixth best head coach in the NFL. And Doug Peterson, his rookie year working with Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles, he went 7-9. and nine. You know, he was establishing his culture. He was trying to bring in his right guys. You know, it was his first year on the job. He made some mistakes. But ever since Doug Peterson's rookie season as a head coach, I'd argue this guy's been a top five coach in the game. You can make that argument, man. Okay? The last three seasons, Doug Peterson not only has a winning record, but he's also won a Super Bowl. And it's very funny to me how people have anointed Kyle Shanahan as being this elite head coach. I love Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, to me, is arguably a top 10 head coach in the NFL. But Kyle Shanahan is not elite, and he's not better than Doug Peterson even, okay? Here's the reason why. Kyle Shanahan, four years into the NFL, has a below 500 record. Doug Peterson, on the other hand, he's got a 38 and 27 record. Kyle Shanahan, for the record, 23 and 26 for his career as a head coach record wise. Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan blew his opportunity to win a Super Bowl, both as a coordinator in Atlanta and both as a, and also as a head coach this past year in San Francisco. And keep in mind, when Jimmy Garoppolo went down due to injuries, the 49ers fell off a cliff. Meanwhile, when Carson Wentz, an MVP-level quarterback, fought, you know, goes down with injuries, Doug Peterson still is able to make the playoffs in Philadelphia. Doug Peterson beat Bill Belichick, the greatest head coach of all time, in a Super Bowl in his second season as an NFL head coach, and he was working with a backup quarterback in Nick Foles. I love Nick Foles, but Nick Foles, outside of his time in Philadelphia, what has Nick Foles done at a high level? I mean, in Kansas City, the guy was average. In Jacksonville, he couldn't win a game, got beat out by Garner Minshew, and with the Rams, he was not very good. Doug Peterson has a great presence about himself. He's a great high-leverage decision maker. He's organized. He understands the game of football. And Doug Peterson is very good at making adjustments. Now, what's holding Doug Peterson back from being in the Belichick and Mike Tomlin and Andy Reid tier, those are probably the three best head coaches in the NFL at the moment. And while Doug Peterson is in that elite category, what is separating Doug Peterson from the best of the best is the fact that Doug Peterson does a good job of adjusting week to week and sometimes drive per drive, but Doug Peterson on a play-by-play basis and on a down-by-down basis sometimes does not make the necessary adjustments. That's the only problem and the one big knock that I have against Doug Peterson. When the running game is going, sometimes Doug Peterson out of nowhere will just abandon the run. I don't understand why he does that sometimes. So 
think Doug Peterson is very, very good. That's the one flaw that he has. But, man, listen, Doug Peterson, he's a big reason why Philadelphia won their division last season. He's a big reason why I have Philadelphia still winning the division over a very talented Dallas team, over a Washington team that's improved, and over a New York Giants team that's improved, okay? Doug Peterson is the best head coach in that division. He's won a Super Bowl. He's great. He's creative. He's fun. He's smart. The players seem to love playing for him. And I really don't understand why people have anointed Kyle Shanahan and why they underrate Doug Peterson. As of right now, Doug Peterson is the most underrated great head coach in the NFL. And to me, he's an elite head coach at the moment as of September 2020. And right now, he's one of the six best head coaches in the entire NFL. Okay, people. The time has officially come. I'm going to rank every single NFL head coach for the 2020 NFL season. Obviously, the 2020 NFL season has already gotten underway, but we're only about two weeks in. So I figure it's still a good time for me to rank these head coaches. I'm going to rank these coaches in tiers. I have five different tiers for you guys. Tier number one is the elite head coaches. Up next is tier number two. Up next is tier number three. Tier number four is below average awful head coaches. So those are the bottom level head coaches. And then the last tier is the unknown tier. Those are coaches that I'm just not quite sure about right now. You know, they're rookie head coaches. There's actually a, a head coach that coached last year that I'm not quite sure about. That's in the second season. We'll talk about him down the road. But right now, let's get right into it, man. In tier number one, at the one spot, I have Bill Belichick. Up next is Andy Reid. Up next is Mike Tomlin at number three, John Harbaugh at number four, Sean Payton at number five, and Doug Peterson at number six. Those are your elite head coaches. Let's start off with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, I mean, can I say I can't praise this guy enough. Six Super Bowl rings, nine Super Bowl appearances. In the last 19 years, he's let he's yet to have a losing season. We've seen this guy win games without Tom Brady. We've seen him win games with Matt Castle. We've seen him win games with Jacoby Brissett. We've seen him win games with Jimmy Garoppolo. Quarterbacks that are average to below average. Jimmy Garoppolo is an average quarterback. Jacoby Brissett and Matt Castle are both backups and below average quarterbacks. Bill Belichick is arguably the best defense in mind in the entire NFL. He has a very good understanding of what offenses are trying to do. He's he's a very good strategist. He's very great on script. He makes great he makes great adjustments, drive to drive, play by play, and year to year, man. And Bill Belichick does a great job of finding players that fit a specific role and fitting them into his team and getting the most out of those players. He does a great job of building up his rosters. And listen, I'll give Bill Belichick some brownie points as well, just because in 1994, he had a winning record with the Cleveland Browns. That's hard to do because that franchise has been a very dysfunctional franchise. Bill Belichick at, at the number one spot in tier number one. Andy Reid up next. Andy Reid is probably the most creative offensive mind in the entire NFL. This guy made Alex Smith look like an MVP candidate. This guy took Donovan McNabb. To a Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock Donovan McNabb, but I don't, I don't think Donovan, Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. And I think that Donovan McNabb benefited from Andy Reid more so than Andy Reid benefited from Donovan McNabb. Andy Reid elevated McNabb more than McNabb elevated Andy Reid, Andy Reid, in my opinion. And last year, we saw MVP level quarterback and Patrick Mahomes go down for a couple games due to injuries. And what happens? Matt Moore comes right in and is able to pick up Andy Reid's system very quickly. 
And he beat a playoff team. He beat the Minnesota Vikings, a team that went to the playoffs last year. He was able to, you know, play very well in relief versus the Broncos. He took the Green Bay Packers down to the wire. Andy Reid is a great offensive guru. He's been to two Super Bowls. He's won one Super Bowl. He just showed you this past year that if you give him an MVP-level quarterback, a truly MVP-level quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes, he can win you a Super Bowl. Andy Reid is at the two spot for me. Mike Tomlin at number three. This guy's been to two Super Bowls. He's won a Super Bowl. He's never had a losing season in 14 years. The players respect him. He's a great motivator. And last year, going 8-8 eight and eight with Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph being the quarterback for 85% of the season, that's an amazing achievement. You could have made an argument that last year Mike Tomlin actually deserved to be NFL head coach of the year because he did an excellent job of coaching up those guys. He had a winning record with those guys. Keep in mind, Bigman Rosberger started off 0-2. He had a winning record with those quarterbacks. This guy is accomplished, and he's not getting enough credit in Pittsburgh. John Harbaugh at the fourth spot for me. I mean, 13 years into the NFL, only had one losing season. He's won coach of the year in the past. He's a great adjuster, you know, year to year. Every single year, it seems like the Ravens are a different team. One minute, they're a team bombing the ball down the field with Joe Flacco. One minute, they're a ball control, defensive-oriented team. And now, he's embracing the young legs and, and dynamic ability that Lamar Jackson presents to the table. Gotta love Jim Harbaugh. He's won a Super Bowl in the past. Like I said, he's, he's at number four for me. Sean Payton. The fact that Sean Payton, 14 years into his career, has a winning percentage of 63% for his career, that shows this guy is legit because he is coaching in a division for most of his career with Cam Newton, who now is with the Patriots, but for a while Cam Newton was with the Panthers for a long time, okay? He mostly throughout his career has coached in a division with Cam Newton and Matt Ryan, two MVP-level quarterbacks that both led their teams to Super Bowls. Sean Payton, he does a great job of maximizing a player's strength and hiding their weaknesses. I am very convinced that Drew Brees has not been the greatest of, the greatest quarterback the last two seasons, and Sean Payton continues to disguise things and get and get Drew Brees in the best position to succeed. I still think Drew Brees is very good, but I do think that Drew Brees' arm has deteriorated a little bit. I don't, I don't think that he's quite the same athlete that he once was. He can't throw the ball down the field, and it does not matter, not to mention last year, Tay Bridgewater had to replace Drew Brees due to Drew Brees' injury, and the team did not fall off a cliff. Sean Payton, he's great. Doug Peterson, I already talked about him earlier. Doug Peterson is the most underrated great head coach in the NFL. Three winning seasons um, the last three years. He's beaten Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. He, he won that game with Nick Foles, who, outside of Philadelphia, during his time with the Rams, the Chiefs, the Jaguars, he's not been very good, and he couldn't even be out Mitchell Trubisky this past training camp in Chicago. Doug Peterson, he's very creative, he's very aggressive, he understands his personnel, and the fact that he got the Eagles to the playoffs last year due to all those injuries is definitely a testament to his great coaching ability. He is the last head coach in the elite tier. Now, tier number two, there's a lot of head coaches in this tier, okay, and one of those head coaches is Pete Carroll. As of right now, I have Pete Carroll in the seventh spot. I have Sean McVay in the eighth spot. I have Ron Rivera in the ninth spot. He's the ninth best head coach. Kyle Shanahan at number 10. Sean McDermott at number 11. John Gruden at number 12. Mike Vrabel at number 14. Bruce Arians at, I'm sorry, Mike Vrabel at number 13, pardon me. Bruce Arians at number 15. At number 14, Bruce Arians at number 14, and Frank Wright at number 15. So those are your tier two coaches. Coaches that are very good, but not quite elite. I understand that Pete Carroll 
has been to two Super Bowls. He's an excellent teacher. He's a friendly head coach. But the way Pete Carroll the last three seasons has refused to adjust his offensive system and the way that he has underutilized the MVP-level quarterback in Russell Wilson is mind-boggling to me. Since 2017, the Seahawks have the fewest first-quarter passing attempts in the entire NFL. That shows you that this guy is treating Russell Wilson like he's Blake Bortles. So Pete Carroll, he's great. But over the past couple of years, I do not think that he's involved enough as a head coach. Got to put him in the seventh spot. Not quite elite anymore. Sean McVay. There's a lot to like about Sean McVay. Um, he's very creative. He's a player's head coach. He's been to a Super Bowl. But the reason why I can't put Sean, Sean McVay in that elite category is because all the coaches in the elite category have won Super Bowls. And Sean McVay, his specialty is offense. And in the Super Bowl versus Bill Belichick, his offense failed that Rams team. And his worst season in the NFL is the 9-7 season last year or so. Look, I'm going to say this about Sean McVay. I think Sean McVay has gotten too much credit for the Rams' success. He's gotten a little bit too much blame. Sean McVay is a top 10 head coach, but not quite elite yet. At the number 9 spot, I have Ryan Rivera. He's, he's, he's a two-time coach of the year. He's a great defensive mind. He's a great motivator. He's a very serious head coach, but he also is a head coach that relates very well to his players. He's a player's head coach. He's been to a Super Bowl, and I give him some brand points for that just because that he was coaching in a division with Drew Brees and Matt Ryan for his entire career until he got to Washington. And the fact that he got Cam Newton that team to a Super Bowl was very special. Ron Rivera can't be in the in the elite conversation just because he's never had back-to-back winning seasons. There is a lack of creativity to his coaching game, but Ron Rivera is a great head coach. He was able to he was able to win games with Kyle Allen last year, and I believe he's a top ten head coach. Kyle Shanahan, very creative. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's super organized. But when you have a losing record and you get out coached in the Super Bowl, I can only give you so much credit. So. I just want to see Kyle Shanahan continue to build upon what he's already done in the NFL. But he's at, number, he's at the number 10 spot for me, the 10th best head coach in the NFL. Sean McDermott. This guy might be the most underrated head coach in the entire NFL. In 2017, he got the Bills to the playoffs with not a whole lot, not a whole lot of weapons on offense. Tyrod Taylor was his quarterback. I'm not a big Tyrod Taylor fan. And keep in mind, Buffalo is not a super-duper big-time market. It's a small market. You know, there's not a whole lot of free agents that come to Buffalo. And he's in a division with Bill Belichick. So it's hard to win in Buffalo. This guy's a good head coach. He's not the most creative head coach in the world. But to me, he's good for a Tier 2 coach and being at the num- at that number 11 spot. John Gruden. This guy's won a Super Bowl in the past. In 2002, he won a Super Bowl. He's a fiery guy. He's a player's head coach. He understands football. I do think that there is some inconsistencies to John Gruden as a head coach, which is reflected by his um, barely above 500 record for his career. Right now for his career, he's got a winning percentage of 51%. That shows lack of a lack of consistency, but John Gruden, he's a Tier 2 coach. Mike Vrabel, I think Mike Vrabel at times makes some mistakes. He's not great off script. Mike Vrabel is one of the best head coaches as far as you know putting together a game plan and, you know, allowing his players to be successful because of that game plan on script. But when Mike Vrabel has to go off script and sometimes make some high leverage decisions, sometimes he struggles. But the one thing I will say about Mike Vrabel, this guy won, had a, had a winning record with Marcus Mariota in 2018. That's hard to do because I'm not a big Marcus Mariota fan. I think the, I think the guy's a bust. I think the guy's a backup quarterback. 
And the minute Mike Vrabel got just an average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, that guy goes all the way to the AFC Championship game. So Mike, so Mike Vrabel, he's a good head coach. Up next, the last two head coaches in the Tier 2 category are Bruce Arians and Frank Wright. Bruce Arians, two-time coach of the year. We know Bruce Arians at times can be a very creative head coach. I do think that players enjoy playing for Bruce Arians. The only problem is Bruce Arians, he does not make adjustments very well at all. There's a stubbornness to his coaching style. Frank Wright of the Indianapolis Colts. He's one of the best offensive minds in the entire NFL. Andrew Luck last year, before he retired, um, had a career high in completion percentage, a career high in pass rate under Frank Wright's offense. He's been to the playoffs, and last year he won seven games with not great quarterback play, and his team had to deal with a lot of injuries. So that's the last head coach in tier number two. In tier number three, I have Mike Zimmer, at the number 16 spot, Matt LaFleur at the number 17 spot, Mike McCarthy at the number 18 spot, Cliff Kingsbury at the number 19 spot, Brian Flores at number 20, Matt Nagy at number 21, Bill O'Brien, excuse me, catch my breath right there, Bill O'Brien at number 22, Dan Quinn at number 23, and Anthony Lynn at number 24. Those are all of the tier three head coaches in 2020. Let's start with Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer is more of your old school head coach. He's not super creative. He's very old school. He likes to run the ball, play great defense. And in big games, his teams at times sort of shrink. But I got to say, the results tell me that Mike Zimmer is a pretty good head coach. He's only had one losing season in five years. And I can give him some bragging points for that because he's in a division with Aaron Rodgers, the Hall of Fame level quarterback. So it's hard to win your division when you're going against Aaron Rodgers each year. So Mike Zimmer, not the most creative guy, but he wins games. He's a tier three head coach right at the top of that tier. Matt LaFleur, I get the fact that Matt LaFleur went 13-3 and with the Packers last year. I do think players enjoy playing for Matt LaFleur. Uh, Matt LaFleur is not afraid to, you know, make some changes, not afraid to try new things week to week. Matt LaFleur isn't the greatest head coach when it comes to making adjustments, but on script, when things are going well, Matt LaFleur is one of the best head coaches in the entire NFL. So I just want to see Matt LaFleur continue to progress as a play car. I want to see if he is more of a product of Aaron Rodgers or if he's actually elevating Aaron Rodgers. I do think that he did a great job of calling a great game in that Minnesota game in week number one, but I'm just kind of waiting to see with Matt LaFleur, number 18, uh, Mike McCarthy. He's the 18th best head coach in the NFL in 2020. He's won a Super Bowl, but I do think that Mike McCarthy is not super creative. He's not a great defensive mind. He's an average offensive mind. I'm not saying that Mike McCarthy is a bad offensive mind head coach. He's a decent play caller, but there's just nothing really special about Mike McCarthy. And I do think that Mike McCarthy relied on Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre a little bit too much, but he deserves our respect. Cliff Kingsbury, he's a, he's a head coach on the rise, in my opinion. Cliff Kingsbury comes in at number 19. I just want to see Cliff Kingsbury continue to elevate this Cardinals team. I do think that he benefits a little bit from having a generational talent at quarterback and Kyler Murray. I think the Cardinals actually are a playoff team this year. And I think that the Cardinals probably should win about eight games at the least. 
So I want to see Cliff Kingsbury get to eight or nine wins this year. I understand that he plays in a very tough division, but I'm just kind of still in wait and see with Cliff Kingsbury, even though he's a very creative head coach. Brian Flores. Brian Flores has a chance to become an elite head coach one day. I'm just not quite ready to anoint him yet, just because his team only won five games last year. But that guy put on a coaching clinic down the stretch last year. The Miami Dolphins, their final nine games went five and four as a football team. That's very, very good considering the circumstances that um, Brian Flores was dealt with as a lot of his star players were traded away at the start of the season. Miami just traded away a bunch of good players and they just let Brian Flores out to, out to, out to hang and dry, but he made it happen. That team was destroyed by the Ravens in week number one and over the final nine games, they had a winning record last year and they beat the Patriots, the Colts, and the Eagles. Two of those three teams were playoff teams last year. So, Brian Flores, very good up and riding head coach. Matt Nagy, I think Matt Nagy's pretty creative. You know, he's not um very he's not a stubborn head coach. He's won a division in the past. You know, I'll give him some bragging points for that just because Mr. Trubisky, I don't think that he's overall that great of a quarterback. However, I don't think Matt Nagy took the necessary steps at head coach that I wanted him to take from this from this past year. I think Matt Nagy sometimes relies a little bit too much on what got him by in 2018 rather than, you know, progressing as a play caller. So I'm just kind of still waiting to see what Nagy, but I do think he's a better, he's, he's better than people give him credit for. I just want to see more from him. Bill O'Brien, this guy actually used to be one of the most underrated head coaches in the entire NFL, but this guy has just flat out regressed. Year in and year out, he has not evolved. He's become way too he's become way too dependent on Deshaun Watson. He's not very organized. And high leverage moments, this guy makes some of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Bill O'Brien, he's not a very good head coach. The only reason why I put him in tier number three is just because he's he's shown the ability to get to the playoffs with a below average quarterback in Brock Osweiler. And he's still getting to the playoffs with Deshaun Watson. I just want to see him maximize Deshaun Watson and win some more playoff games, but only time will tell. Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn to me, I don't know. I'm just hitting miss with Dan Quinn. I understand that he got the Falcons to a Super Bowl in 20. Um, it was 2016. Yes, 2016. He got them to a Super Bowl. He won 11 to 5 that year, but outside of that 11 to 5 Super Bowl season, he's been 8 and 8, 10 and 6, 7 and 9, 7 and 9. And this year, I think the Falcons are by an 8 and 8 football team. So Dan Quinn at his best can get you to a Super Bowl. But if you take away that best season, he's just an average coach at best. He's not a very good defensive-minded head coach, and that's very disappointing due to the fact that Dan Quinn was a defensive coordinator with the Seahawks a couple years ago. He was a defensive coordinator, and the, the Atlanta Falcons defense continues to disappoint. That's a bad look for him. Last but not least, the final coach in tier number three is Anthony Lynn. I just think Anthony Lynn does nothing special. You know, Anthony Lynn is solid. He's solid in every area that I talked about earlier. But he does nothing at a high level. And I don't think Anthony Lynn's all that creative. You know, the players respect him. Players love playing for him. But he hasn't accomplished a whole lot. You know, he, he's not very progressive or creative. So he's the number 24 for me. He's the 24th best head coach. And he just misses out on tier number four, which is the well below average tier. And to kick things off, I got Matt Patricia at number 25. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to flip those guys. I mentioned earlier that Patricia is at number um, 25. 
I'm going to put Doug Marone at number 25 and flip Matt Patricia and put him at number 26 just because Doug Marone in Jacksonville has made an AFC Championship game, but this guy is living off that one year of going to the AFC title game. I'm not too excited about him. Matt Patricia, we could talk about the fact that his team has dealt with injuries, but it's funny because Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson, and Mike Tomlin still find ways to win games with below average quarterbacks. We could talk about him not having great rosters, but I see other coaches elevating their rosters and turning wire into wine. It just comes down to the fact that Matt Patricia has a 9-23 and record for his career. And it comes down to wins and losses, people. And Matt Patricia, there's nothing special about him. He's at number 26. Number 27 is Adam Gase. He's just not a great head coach. He's living off of coaching Peyton Manning. He's not creative. He's not, an offensive, he's not an offensive guru. The Jets have gotten worse and worse every time I watch them play under under um, Adam Gase. He's not elevating Sam Darnold. The players don't respect him. There's no presence about him. There's nothing special about him. He's the worst head coach in the NFL, in, the, in my opinion, probably at the moment, besides the unproven guys. Now, the unproven tier. At the top of that tier, I'm going to put Matt Rule there. Up next is Joe Judge. Up next is Zach Taylor. Up next is Kevin Stefanski. And last but not least, Vic Vangio. I think Matt Rule is going to turn around the Carolina Panthers. Now, I don't know what type of coach Matt Rule is just because he's a rookie, but I, I, I feel good about him. I like that hire, but we'll just wait and see, man. Same with Joe Judge. Didn't really like that hire, but I do think that Joe Judge actually has a pretty high ceiling if he hits. But he's one of those guys that has a high ceiling but a very low floor. That's just my opinion, though. Zach Taylor, I do think Zach Taylor should be given the benefit of the doubt. He should be given the benefit of the doubt just because his quarterback play over the past couple years has not been that good. Now that he has Joe Burrow, let's evaluate him. Kevin Stefanski, he's a rookie. That's all I need to say about him. And Vic Vangio, it's funny because last year, Vangio was able to win games despite having bad quarterback play. But I did not like the way that he handled his timeouts in week number one of the 2020 NFL season on Monday Night Football. I don't think Vic Vangio is a very creative offensive mind. He's a very good defensive minded head coach. But I don't know if he's the type of head coach to elevate, you know, your offense and your quarterback. So I'm just kind of waiting to see with Vic, with Vic Vangio. With McVangio, you know, I just want to wait and see what he brings to the table in Denver. I had Denver making the playoffs. We'll see if he's up to the task. So there you have it, people. Those are all 32 NFL head coaches ranked at the moment. I, I have this out for you guys, and um, I think I did a pretty good job. You know, be sure to comment if you're watching on YouTube. If I did a good job, if I did a poor job, let me know. Love to hear what you guys have to say. Okay, people, I'm going to actually take a short break, and when I return, I will talk some more football, and I will address who's the most underrated head coach in the NFL in 2020. I will be right back. This is Jemai McKinney, and you are listening to The Juice Learner. Okay, everyone, I am back. Welcome back to the Juice Alert. Once again, you are joined by Jamon McKinney, your host. That is me right here. Jamon McKinney is my name, or you can just call me Juice if you want. That's my nickname. Um, Be sure to follow me on social media. Links will be in the description of this episode. Let's dive into who's the most underrated head coach in the NFL at the moment. That title belongs to Sean McDermott. As of September of 2020, Sean McDermott is the most underrated head coach in the entire NFL. 
I recently, in the last segment, ranked all 32 NFL head coaches, and I had Sean McDermott as the 11th best coach in the NFL. I don't think this guy gets enough credit. Now, Sean McDermott is not super creative offensively. You know, I, I, I would like to see him be a little bit more progressive as far as his you know, ability to elevate players on offense. You know, I think that he's a decent play caller, you know, when he's asked to call plays. But what you have to understand about Sean McDermott is this. What he's doing is hard to do in Buffalo. Buffalo is a small market. It's a small market that does not attract free agents. He's playing in a division with Bill Belichick, which is very hard in itself. You know, when you're playing against Bill Belichick in your division, you're pretty much playing for second place automatically. No disrespect to Sean McDermott, but Bill, but Bill Belichick, he's one of the three best coaches in the NFL history. It's hard to beat him on a consistent basis year to year, okay? And not to mention, Sean McDermott has never really been given a whole lot of dynamic weapons on offense. That points to the fact that in 2017, the Buffalo Bills were the fourth worst offensive team as far as total offense in the NFL. In 2019, in 2018, they were the third worst total offense in the NFL. In 2019, this past year, they were the ninth worst total offense this past year. And while that is somewhat of an indictment on Sean McDermott, just because he's not super creative, you gotta admit, this guy has not been given a whole lot to work with on offense. And this guy still finds a way to win football games. You want to know why he does that? Because he's a great head coach, and he's a very good defensive mind. And I want to ask you guys this question. Outside of Tredavious White and maybe Micah Hyde, what star players are on the Buffalo Bills defense? Because the Buffalo Bills, they don't have a Bobby Wagner on their team. I love, I love um, Tremaine Edmonds, but he's not Bobby Wagner. Mario Addison is not close to Miles Garrett. Where are the big-time star-level players on this Buffalo Bills defense? The Buffalo has very good players on defense, but Sean McDermott gets the most out of those players. And over the past two seasons, the Buffalo Bills have had a top-three defense, and that is because Sean McDermott is one of the best defensive minds in the entire NFL. And keep in mind, this guy, Sean McDermott, was able to take Tyrod Taylor to the playoffs in 2017. In 2019, this past year, he took Josh Allen to the playoffs. And I'm not saying Josh Allen's a bad quarterback, but Josh Allen does have his problems. He's not the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. You know, he's not the most accurate quarterback in the world. And Josh Allen, you know, he has some, he has his problems. It's not like Sean McDermott has a Deshaun Watson. It's not like he has a Kyler Murray. It's not like he has a Patrick Mahomes. I think that I think that Sean McDermott has done an excellent job of working with what he's been given and allowing his team to go out there and compete and win football games. I think Sean McDermott, by far, is the most underrated head coach in the NFL. He's a player's coach. The players respect him. There's a presence about him. He makes good decisions in high-leverage moments. He's very organized. His team seems prepared each week. And I have to say that Sean McDermott does not get no credit, and he's the most underrated head coach in the NFL at the moment in 2020. Okay, let's transition to the most underrated head coach in 2022, the most overrated head coach in 2020. The answer to the most overrated head coach in 2020 has to be Bruce Arians. I have Bruce Arians ranked as the 14th best coach in the NFL at the moment. And I think that people have put Bruce Arians on a pedestal saying that he is maybe not Bill Belichick, maybe not Mike Tomlin, but he's in the, he's in the next category. And while I had um, Bruce Arians in my tier two 
Um, as far as ranking, ranking coaches, I had, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, and then the unknown tier. Bruce Arians is a bottom level tier two coach. And if you're ranked 14th at your position, that's around middle of the pack when you consider the fact that there are 32 head coaching jobs. So Bruce Arians, he's a slightly above average coach. He's nothing more than that, in my opinion. I understand that Bruce Arians did a very good job as being the interim head coach in Indianapolis. I understand that in Arizona, he put, he, he allowed Carson Palmer to play very well in the system and he took Carson Palmer all the way to the NFC title game when they got slacked by the Carolina Panthers, might I add. But see, here's the thing. In Tampa Bay this past year, I did not like what I saw from Bruce Arians at times as head coach. I did a film analysis video on Jameis Winston. I'm very proud of that piece of work right there. And Jameis Winston definitely had his problems last year. He wasn't very accurate. You know, he was making poor decisions, wasn't reading the defense. You know, he's just overall a mess right now. Jameis Winston, he needs about a year or two to sit down, learn from his his mistakes. I do believe that him learning from, you know, Drew Brees and Sean Payton will definitely maybe potentially help him turn around his career. But see, the Buccaneers' struggles as a team were not all on Jameis Winston this past year. Jameis Winston is not responsible for the Buccaneers being the most penalized team in the NFL last season. And while he did turn the football over a lot, still, the Buccaneers led the NFL in turnovers. It was not all on Jameis Winston. This team just liked attention to detail. And I saw a guy in Bruce Arians that at times was not putting his offense in a position to succeed to the maximum rate in which I know they could have succeeded, okay? Tampa Bay last year was trying to do things as an offense that they were incapable of doing at times. Bruce Arians did not understand the fact that last year he did not have the offensive line to call those deep passes consistently down the field. Sometimes the offensive line would hold up, but but sometimes the offensive line didn't hold up. And what Bruce Arians failed to realize last year was he needs to do a better job of adjusting his system to the personnel that he has. If you have an elite offensive line, then hey, fine. Go bomb the ball down the field a bunch of times. You know, but when you have an offensive line that's average at best, then you can't bomb the ball down the field consistently at times. You know, make it easier for Jameis Winston. Call some short passes. You know, run some play action. You know, get the ball in his hands very quickly. Establish the run. Make your team more disciplined. And Bruce Arians is loose. He's fun. He doesn't like to make adjustments. And in an NFL where you have to be very detail-oriented, you know, Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, all the teams that are winning – are teams that pay attention to details. Bruce Arians, yeah, he says details, screw them. You know, we're loose. We're going to be fun. And we're going to take shots down the field. We'll run the no-risk-it, no-biscuit offense. And sometimes that offense is fun to watch, but sometimes that doesn't translate to a whole lot of wins. So while Bruce Arians, to me, is an above-average head coach, I don't think that he's overall that special as a defensive mind. I think that his lack of adjustments are 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 very mind-boggling to me. And overall, I got to say, if I were to pick one head coach that is overrated at the moment, I got to say it's Bruce Arians. And for, that's for all the reasons that I mentioned right there. Bruce Arians, to me, is the most overrated head coach in the NFL in 2020. Okay, let's transition to Brian Flores. I had Brian Flores 
as a very good tier three head coach where I ranked all 32 head coaches. He was somewhere in the middle of the pack in tier number three. I had coaches ranked in tier number one, tier number two, tier number three, tier number four, and then the unknown tier, which was tier number five. You know, the rookie head coaches, coaches I don't know much about. But Brian Flores, to me, despite only being 39 years old, I believe Brian Flores has a chance to become the next great elite head coach one day. I really do. I talked about several things I look at when evaluating head coaches. I, I talked about six different things. Does, does that coach have a presence about him, about himself? Do players respect him? Is that coach a good decision maker? Is that coach organized? Does that coach make adjustments? Does that coach understand the personnel they've been given and adjust to their team, adjust their team accordingly to the personnel that has been given to them? And do those coaches know about the X's and O's of football? And I got to say, I think Brian Flores checks off a lot of those boxes. I really do. Brian Flores, to me, has a lot of potential as a head coach. He really does, okay? See, here's the thing you have to understand about Miami from last year. Miami last year, in the first game of the season versus Baltimore, lost 59-10. to And keep in mind, last year, the Dolphins kind of did Brian Flores a disservice because they got rid of Larry Tunsil, they got rid of Kenny Stills, and they got rid of Minka Fitzpatrick. Probably their three best players from a year ago. So Brian Flores, he didn't have much to work with last season. In fact, Ryan Fitzpatrick was this team's leading rusher last season. You know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is? The starting quarterback, and he's 37 years old, and he's a career backup. That was the leading rusher on this team last year. And Brian Flores, over the final nine games of the season, had this team playing above average football. Above 500 football. Over the over the final nine games of the season, the Miami Dolphins had a 5-4 and four record. That was a better record down the stretch over the, over the final nine games than the New England Patriots. This team started off, started off 0-7, and they finished the season on a high note, beating the Patriots in Foxborough 27-24. And that was a key accomplishment because the Patriots, they were trying to win. They were trying to get a first-round bye, and the Dolphins... They beat the Patriots. Are you kidding me? The Patriots beat three really good teams down the stretch in Indianapolis, who was a very solid team despite not great quarterback play. Philadelphia as well. Philadelphia made the playoffs last year. And the Patriots, they made the playoffs last year as well. So, man, I got to say, I really believe in what Brian Flores is cooking down in Miami. I think Brian Flores and that coaching staff had a very excellent draft. They, they, they addressed the offensive line. They improved the defensive free agency and through the draft. They got a couple more running backs to come in to come onto their roster in Matt Breda and Jordan Howard. They improved the run game, and they finally got a franchise quarterback that I feel good about in Miami, Tua Tungavailoa. And while Tua Tungavailoa does have some question marks, you know, I do want to see how he takes hits at the NFL level just because this guy was so injury-prone in college. There's not a single college quarterback that I saw going to the injury tent more than Tua over the past couple of seasons in college football. So Tua... He's got to answer some questions, but if two is healthy and becomes as good as I think he can become, Brian Flores, in my opinion, is going to turn around this Miami Dolphins team. 
And here's the thing. Brian Flores, he knows about the game of football. This is a guy that played at Boston College as a defensive back. This is a guy that's a former scout with the Patriots. He's he's coached special teams. He's called defensive plays. In fact, he was very responsible for shutting down the number one ranked Los Angeles Rams offense in the Super Bowl back in uh, 2017 or 2018. It was either 2017 or 2018. Either way, it, I, yeah, it was 2018. Yeah, 2018, yes. Back when the Rams and Patriots faced in the Super Bowl in 2018, Brian Flores was the guy that called the defensive plays in that Super Bowl for the Patriots. And he held the number one scoring Rams offense to three points, a field goal. Brian Flores, man, he's good, man. He's the next big thing. He's been a safeties coach. He's coached linebackers in the past as well. And I think Brian Flores has something, something brewing very special down in Miami. I believe that Brian Flores has the potential to be the next great elite NFL head coach. Okay, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns game from this past Thursday. It was a very fun game for me to watch, you know. Um, it was competitive for a while. You know, the Browns, they got they came out, did what they needed to do. They got a win versus a team that they were better than. And, yeah, Cleveland, they're back on track. They had a bad week one versus the Ravens. Are they going to be facing Washington this upcoming week? Not sure if they're up for that challenge, however, however, just because we've seen Baker Mayfield win pressure, you know, and win blitzed, make some bad decisions. But let's focus in on the quarterbacks that faced off when the Bengals and the Browns played this past Thursday. Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield went head-to-head. And I got to be honest with you folks, I watched that game, and I, I right now think that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, despite only starting two career games. Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield right now as of September 2020. If I were starting a franchise today, I would rather start my franchise with Joe Burrow rather than starting it with Baker Mayfield. Keep in mind what Joe Burrow did this past uh, this past Thursday versus, versus the Browns. Joe Burrow, let's take into account this guy is a rookie that had no preseason games, playing behind a bad offensive line. The run game was non-existent versus versus um, the Cleveland Browns. And they asked this guy to go out there and throw the ball 60 times down the field. Over 60 times, Joe Burrow threw the ball versus Cleveland. And the guy threw for three touchdowns and had zero interceptions. Th- over 300 yards and a 90.6 pass rating. Joe Burrow... Five for five on fourth down. On a short week, I might add. This guy was coming off a short week after facing the Chargers defensive front and secondary. And then he faces the very talented Cleveland Browns on Thursday night and puts on that performance. I got to say, this guy, he's going to be special. And I said in a recent episode a couple of months ago that I believe Joe Burrow one day is going to be an elite quarterback. And I believe that he's going to win the Cincinnati Bengals their first ever Super Bowl one day, and I'm sticking with that statement, and I'm not backing down from that statement. Joe Burrow is a special quarterback, and ultimately he's better than Baker Mayfield right now, okay? And listen, I understand that Joe Burrow was playing from behind a lot. I understand that he had a bad fumble, you know, on his, like, two-yard line that put Cleveland in a position to, to in a position to score. I understand that he missed some throws, you know, but you can recognize the talent when you see it. 
And I know some of you Cleveland Browns fans are going to be saying, well, Joe Burrow hasn't won a game. You guys are screaming at your uh, at your smartphone screen. You're screaming at the computer screen right now. You're listening to this and saying, what is Jamon McKinney thinking? Joe Burrow is not better than Baker Mayfield right now. How can you say that? Well, I understand that Joe Burrow has only played in two games in his career, but guess what? It did not take long for people to realize how great Tiger Woods could become. It didn't take people a long time to realize LeBron James was great and the next big thing. How long did it take for us to realize that Patrick Mahomes was pretty good? The first time you laid your eyes on those guys, when they when they got a legit chance to be in front of a big-time crowd, you said, oh, those guys are different. That's Joe Burrow. That's Joe Burrow. And by the way, Joe Burrow was the better player coming out of college. Both former number, number one overall picks in Baker Mayfield – and Joe, and Joe Burrow. And actually, I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I was a guy that advocated for the Cleveland Browns to take Baker Mayfield number one overall. Now, obviously, Lamar Jackson has overtaken Baker Mayfield and the rest of that quarterback play, that and the rest of that quarterback quarterback class and become the best quarterback from that draft class. But Baker Mayfield, I was rooting for that guy. I was saying this guy is the real thing. This guy's an NFL quarterback. And I still believe Baker Mayfield can win big in the NFL. I, I like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a very good starting quarterback. And Baker Mayfield, he played very well versus the Cincinnati defense. He really did. But see, Joe Burrow, he was better in college at LSU. He was more accomplished in college than Baker Mayfield. Both won a Heisman, but Joe Burrow, he won a national title. He had the greatest college football season of all time. And to keep this to put this in context, for you say, for you people out there saying, well, Joe Burrow hasn't won a game yet. It's not like Baker Mayfield's out there winning a bunch of games, people. It's not. Because Baker Mayfield, he's 13 and 18 for his career. Is that winning a bunch of games? I don't think so. And that's with star wide receivers and well above average running backs. Joe Burrow to me, he's the better athlete. He's bigger. He's more accurate than Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield this year is only completing 59% of his throws. He's a better decision maker. Joe Burrow, to me, is a better leader than Baker Mayfield. And Joe Burrow, ultimately, in my opinion, is going to have a better career than Baker Mayfield. And keep in mind, Baker Mayfield in college has some baggage. Police video. He was grabbing his junk on the sideline. Baker Mayfield, a year ago, called out the medical staff. He was targeting Daniel Jones and Sam Ellinger in the offseason, you know, through social media, saying Daniel Jones shouldn't have been drafted where he should have been drafted, you know, calling out Sam Ellinger, responding to Colin Coward on Twitter. I don't get that with Joe Burrow. I don't. Joe Burrow, he just puts his head down and works. He just does. And Joe Burrow's a better athlete. He's, he's better off schedule. Did you see that 23-yard touchdown run that Joe Burrow had in his first ever NFL game? Have we ever seen Baker Mayfield have a run like that in the NFL for 23 yards and a touchdown? I haven't seen that. So ultimately, man, I know it's a hot take, but as of right now, I think Joe Burrow is a better player than Baker Mayfield, and I would start my franchise with Joe Burrow over Baker Mayfield if I was given the choice. Okay, people, I have a couple more topics to talk about uh, and to tackle before I wrap up the show. They're all going to be basketball-related, okay? So right here, I'm going to talk about Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard, y'all thought I was going to let Kawhi Leonard off the hook. No sirree. Kawhi Leonard absolutely flat-out choked versus the Denver Nuggets 
blowing a 3-1 to one series lead a couple days ago. And I still think Kawhi Leonard's a top five player in, in the NBA right now. You know, my top five probably would be in no order, no particular order. Uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron, Kawhi, Steph Curry, uh, James Harden. That's probably my top five right now. Giannis is not in the top five, by the way. He's not. And, you know, here's the thing. The media has overrated Kawhi Leonard's all-time legacy. They have overrated Kawhi Leonard's legacy. See, here's the thing. I've heard some people come out and say Kawhi Leonard, after winning the NBA championship for the Toronto Raptors, was a top 20 player of all time. I've heard some people say that if Kawhi Leonard would have delivered a, would have delivered the Clippers a championship this year, he would have been top five or top ten of all time. Baloney. Not close. Not close. See, Kawhi Leonard right now is not even a top 30 player of all time. Someone's got to say it, and I'm going to be the person to say it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's the thing, man. Let me Before I get into Kawhi Leonard's overall legacy, here's the problem with him blowing that 3-1 lead. I understand that players like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry have also blown 3-1 leads, but see, here's the thing. At least when Kevin Durant blew his 3-1 lead, he blew it to a 73-win Warriors team, a team that he was not favored to beat. When Steph Curry blew his 3-1 lead to LeBron James, not only did he lose to a top-five player of all time, but he lost in the NBA Finals. Kawhi Leonard choked in the second round of the playoffs, and he was the favorite. The Clippers were arguably the favorite. I thought they, I thought they could win the championship this year. And here's the thing, Kawhi Leonard. You low-managed all season long. You said, oh, don't care about the regular season. Don't care about the regular season. Let me rest my body because come playoff time, I'm going to be charged up, juiced up, and ready to go. And Kawhi Leonard was so charged up and so juiced up because of that low management and because of the fact that he rested in the playoffs that in game number seven, he went one for 13 from the field and had only two points in a 28-minute stretch. That's pitiful. That's a bad look, especially when you low-manage all year. And see, here's the thing. This was the first opportunity that we got to see Kawhi Leonard build his own team on his own and be the undisputed guy, the undisputed leader, and the undisputed best player on the team. While Kawhi was the best player on the Raptors last year, the leader of that team was Kyle Lowry. While Kawhi Leonard did win a Finals MVP back in San Antonio when he was very young, you can make the argument that at that time, Tony Parker and Tim Duncan were probably the, the leaders of that team, and Duncan was probably still a better player at the time than Kawhi. This is the first time Kawhi assembled his own team and was the undisputed leader. See, in Toronto, Kawhi Leonard, what you have to realize is the Raptors had the second-best record this, in the NBA this past year without Kawhi Leonard. They were the number one seed in the, in the East the year before he got there. When Kawhi Leonard missed 22 games due to injury the year he, the year he was in Toronto, the team went 17-5 and without him. So this narrative that Kawhi Leonard just absolutely carried the Raptors it's fool's gold. And not to mention, do we really think Kawhi Leonard wins that championship if Kevin Durant's healthy, the Slim Reaper, 
maybe the best player in the NBA at the moment, him or LeBron James, you can choose between who you want. Are we sure Kawhi Leonard wins that title if Klay Thompson doesn't go down due to injury? Are we sure Kawhi Leonard doesn't win the title wins the title if Boogie Cousins is healthy? Just saying, man. And not to mention in San Antonio, he played with Miles Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, and Greg Popovich, and he was not asked to carry that team. Kawhi Leonard has just flat out been overrated by the media as far as his all-time NBA status. He's not not even top 30 all-time, in my opinion. Kawhi Leonard is roughly the 40th to to 35th best player of all time, somewhere around the 35 to 40 range. If you want to put him in the top 30, that's fine, but he's not top 20, and he's not close to top 10. Where are Kawhi Leonard's scoring titles? Where are his MVPs? Steve Nash has won two MVPs. And here's a fun fact. Kawhi Leonard is not even top 250 all-time in career assists, in career rebounds, or career points. Kawhi Leonard, to me, is a Hall of Famer. But to say Kawhi Leonard is already an NBA legend, to say this guy is on the tier with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, even James Harden, as far as all-time status on the NBA NBA hierarchy, I have to disagree. I have to totally disagree. And while Kawhi Leonard is probably still one of the top five players in the NBA, despite choking away a 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets, Kawhi Leonard's legacy has been overrated by the media, and that should not even be up for debate. Kawhi Leonard is not an all-time great, and he has a a lot of work to do as far as improving upon his legacy to reach all-time elite status in the NBA hierarchy for all-time players. Okay, let's talk about Kawhi Leonard and the fact that he decided to leave the Toronto Raptors. A lot of people believe that Kawhi Leonard should have stayed in Toronto. And a lot of people believe that Kawhi Leonard falling short in the playoffs this year versus the Nuggets is an accurate representation of that argument. And I say no. I say Kawhi Leonard should not regret the fact that he left Toronto. He should not regret that. Kawhi Leonard chose to bet on himself. And I have no problem with players betting on themselves. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow bet on himself. Joe Burrow decided to transfer away from Ohio State. And guess what? It paid off for him. Drake and Kanye West decided to drop out of school and bet on themselves. How'd that turn out? Bill Gates. Bill Gates dropped out of school. How'd that work out for him? Here's the reality, people. If Kawhi Leonard had played better, the Clippers would have won that series. The problem was Kawhi Leonard failed himself in in those big-time moments. The decision was not the reason Kawhi Leonard failed. The reason Kawhi Leonard failed with the Clippers was because he didn't play good enough down the stretch. If Kawhi Leonard plays better down the stretch and doesn't engage in so much low management, then guess what? The Clippers prior still playing today. Kawhi Leonard chose a better lifestyle. He felt that living in Toronto is not as good as living in Los Angeles. And I'd argue he probably is right. Kawhi Leonard chose to go to a team that actually attracts free agents. Name me the last big-time free agent 
that has come to Toronto. While they have a, a lot of very good players right now, is Toronto a place where Kawhi Leonard can attract free agents? I'm not so sure because a lot of NBA players are not willing to move away from a country. Keep in mind, Toronto, it's in Canada, a different country. It's not in the United States. It's a, it's a different culture, people. Listen, man, it's not out of the possibility that if Kawhi Leonard comes back a different beast this year with a different mentality and the Clippers stop messing around, this Clippers team can win a championship. they still got a very good bench. You've got a very good starting five. And I argue the Clippers are one of the three most talented teams in all of basketball. People, LeBron James in Miami didn't work out the first time around. Did LeBron make a, make a terrible decision leaving Cleveland to go to Miami? I don't think he made a terrible decision. He, he failed year number one, so what? He came back the next two years and won two championships. Kawhi Leonard could do the, the same thing. Now, I'd argue that the Brooklyn Nets might be the favorites next year. I'd argue teams like the Mavericks and the Warriors, you know, are going to be different beasts this next year. I think that Luka Dodgers, Luka Dodgers and the, the Mavericks have a chance to take a big step this year. And I think the Golden State Warriors, led by Steph Curry, will be, will be pretty good. And not to mention LeBron James and Anthony Davis are still pretty good as well. So, you know, the Clippers, they have some retooling to do. They have some work to do. But if Kawhi Leonard plays better, and the Clippers get it together and don't engage in as much low management, this team can win a championship. The pieces are there. So in reality, I disagree with the people that say Kawhi Leonard made a poor decision going to the Los Angeles Clippers because Kawhi Leonard bet on himself. And I had nothing wrong with that. Kawhi Leonard should not regret leaving Toronto for the Los Angeles Clippers. But that's just my opinion, though. Okay, people. One last topic to talk about right here. I I gave Giannis Antetokounmpo a lot of praise earlier in the show. I said Giannis deserved to win the 2020 NBA MVP over one LeBron James. But as of right now, I have to poo-poo Giannis Antetokounmpo. I will, I've been trying to get this episode out to you guys for a long time. Just have not had the time to get the episode out to you guys and talk about it. But I'm going to talk about it in this episode. As of right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo is not a top five player in the NBA. And I felt this way heading into the playoffs. And so far, Giannis, he choked in the playoffs. So guess what? I'm not changing my mind. Right now, the top five players in the NBA are Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, and James Harden. In no particular order. And listen, you could throw out the fact you could throw the fact at me that Giannis has won two MVPs. Guess what? I don't care. Steve Nash won two MVPs. I don't care. I don't care. And in fact, you can make the argument that Giannis did not even deserve to win his first MVP. The first MVP Giannis should not have won. That MVP should have belonged to James Harden because James Harden. He won 53 games a year ago in the West. That's that's hard. It's hard to win in the West. And not to mention CP3, Clint Capella, and Eric Gordon. All three missed significant time due to injury. And the, and the Rockets were still a top four seed out West. Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant, they're both, they're, all three of those guys are better one-on-one players than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay? And keep in mind, you can talk greasy about Kawhi Leonard choking all you want. Guess what? Last year, Kawhi Leonard knocked 
Giannis Antetokounmpo out of the playoffs. And don't even bring up the fact that Giannis should be better than LeBron James and Kevin Durant because that's just laughable, okay? That's laughable. Those are the two clear-cut best players in the NBA, and there's a significant gap between who's the third and fourth best player between those two, okay? And here's the thing about Steph Curry. Steph Curry has been to an NBA Finals. Has Giannis? No, he hasn't. And you could say, well, Steph Curry had a great team. Um, Keep in mind, the year that Steph Curry got to the Finals, the only big addition that was added to the Warriors was Andre Godala and head coach Steve Kerr. So it's not like Steph Curry had this immaculate free agent that came to his team in which he got to an NBA Finals. No, Steph Curry, he improved upon his game. He elevated his team, and Steph Curry won a unanimous MVP a couple years ago. He's a two-time MVP just like Giannis, okay? Steph Curry's a better shooter. Steph Curry's a better one-on-one player. Steph Curry elevates the players around him. He gets his teammates involved. He's a better playmaker. Same thing with James Harden. James Harden, you can talk greasy about James Harden flaming out in the playoffs all you want, but guess what? James Harden, he's out here losing to Western Conference teams like the Warriors who are all-time great teams. The Warriors are all-time great team. So I'm going to give James Harden somewhat of a semi-pass because he lost to an all-time great team. Giannis, his biggest competition in the East has been Jimmy Butler. Meanwhile, James Harden has to face Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, all these great players. Giannis, you're by far the best player out East now that LeBron James is gone. Obviously, Kevin Durant coming back, you know, knocks, knocks Giannis off that pedestal, but... The last two seasons, you can make the argument that Giannis was maybe the best player out East outside of Kawhi Leonard. And this year, with Giannis being the top dog out East, he got knocked off by Jimmy Butler. And Giannis, he's a guy that does not consistently impose his will on teams. I don't see the killer instinct. I don't see a guy that dominates in the high leverage moments. There are some players that elevate under pressure, that shrink under pressure, or stay the same under pressure. Heck, you can make the argument that Luka Doncic might be a better player than Giannis Antetokounmpo just based on what we saw what we saw Luka do in the playoffs, outplaying Kawhi Leonard on a bum ankle, hitting game-winning shots, playing great in high-leverage situations. Giannis has flaws. He's not the greatest shooter. He's not the greatest ball handler. He can't create his own shot. And Giannis, he needs a closer by his side. All those guys I mentioned, they don't need closers by their side. They hit the game-winning shots because they can create their own shot. And Giannis... He's just not that guy quite yet. And by the way, don't give me the excuse that Giannis is a big man. Look at Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is a big man too. Just saying, people. Giannis Antetokounmpo, as of right now, is not a top five player in 2020. Okay, up next, I'm going to break down the Denver Nuggets versus Los Angeles Lakers playoff series for the 2020 Western Conference Finals. Recently, I actually released this episode I believe on Friday night. Yes, that was Friday night. I released the episode on YouTube. So I'm going to play that episode back for you guys that have not seen it yet. So without further ado, this is my prediction for Lakers versus Nuggets in the 2020 Western Conference Finals. Okay, everyone, I am back. And today I'm going to break down the Los Angeles Lakers versus Denver Nuggets Western Conference Final Series in this little mini episode right here, or at least segment, I should say, okay? So, I'm going to pick the Lakers to beat the Nuggets in six games 
during the 2020 Western Conference Finals. Um, I just have to, at this point, pick the Lakers because I think that overall, after the Clippers got after the Clippers just got eliminated by the Nuggets, I think the Lakers are by far the best team left remaining in these playoffs. And I'm gonna pick LeBron James and Anthony Davis to get it done. Wire to wire, the Los Angeles Lakers have probably been the most consistent team in the NBA outside of Milwaukee. And we all know that Milwaukee showed that they were frauds versus the Miami Heat, okay? This is a team in the Los Angeles Lakers that went 52-19 and during the regular season. They were the number one team in the West for a reason. they got great chemistry. They're going to be well-rested for this for this series. That's very key that they, you know, closed the Rockets out in five games and had several days to prepare for this Nuggets series just because you got some veteran players on this team like LeBron James, like Danny Green, a little bit older legs, you know, so th- those older legs are going to be a little more um, fresher this time around. And... I look at a team like Los Angeles, they have a team that has a lot of veteran players on it. And while Denver, they're a team that's very, very good and very young and on the rise, I do believe the Denver Nuggets are the future of the NBA. You know, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time. But I don't think that this is their year. And I think the Lakers' experience actually is really what's going to um, catapult them to winning this series. LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, um, Danny Green. These are guys on the Lakers roster that have made deep, deep playoff runs, that have been to conference finals, that have played in multiple NBA finals matchups, okay? Denver, the only experienced guy they have on their roster is Paul Millsap. He's been to one conference finals back when he was with the Hawks, and he got absolutely swept by LeBron James. And I believe it was the Cleveland Cavaliers at that time. Yes, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers that year. And my biggest question for Denver is, who's going to guard LeBron James? I mean, Denver, one thing about Denver is they are, in my opinion, an average defensive team. They're not great defensively. You know, they're not poor defensively, but they're very average in that area. And I do believe that LeBron James, if he puts his head down and does his thing, he'll be able to average 30 on this team if he needs to. And, you know, I get a team that's better defensively, in my opinion. When I look at the Los Angeles Lakers, when comparing them to the Nuggets, I get a team that actually has more size, in my opinion, in the Los Angeles Lakers. And it all comes down to this. The Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and the Nuggets, they don't. When it comes to these conference finals matchups, all these teams are pretty much even, at least in some respects. You know, Boston, you know, Miami, Denver, L.A. All these teams have good players. All these teams have fairly good head coaches, okay? All these teams have good chemistry. What it's going to come down to is who's got the better players, in my opinion. You know, look at last year. The Warriors. They had better players than the Blazers last year. You look at a team like Toronto. They had the best player in that series in Kawhi Leonard. They defeated Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks. okay? I think LeBron James recognizes what is on the line in this series. If LeBron James gets to at least just gets to the NBA Finals, let alone wins the NBA Finals, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be saying LeBron James has overtaken Michael Jordan. In fact, there were already a couple, there are already a lot of people that, you know, flipped their opinions a couple years ago when LeBron James beat the Warriors in the NBA Finals when he was down three to one and came back on that 73, 73 win Warriors team. If LeBron James wins another NBA Finals, man, it's going to be hard to deny him, man. I, I'm going to admit, I, I, it's going to be hard, man. I've said in the past 
that if LeBron James wins two more titles, I will name him the greatest player of all time. But I mean, if he wins another, if he wins another NBA Finals, I'm not gonna be mad at you if you say that he's the greatest player of all time. And LeBron, he knows what's at stake, man. He knows what's at stake. Now, really quickly. I want to go over the blueprint for the Denver Nuggets to win this playoff series over the Los Angeles Lakers. So if the Denver Nuggets were to pull off the upset, here's what is going to need to happen. Jamal Murray will have to play big down the stretch, especially late in games. Jamal Murray has been the Denver Nuggets' go-to guy in the clutch at times, even though Nikola Jokic has played very well in the clutch as well. But if they need perimeter shots, Jamal Murray's going to have to hit him. You know, Jamal Murray's had a great playoff run. We've seen this guy go off for 50 and 40 points on multiple occasions during this during the 2020 NBA playoffs. He's going to he is going to have to play big down the stretch. And listen, man, I won't be shocked if Jamal Murray yet again has another really really good playoff series just because at times we've seen the Lakers perimeter defense be a weakness for their team. So, you know, at times, Damian Lillard, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, they've had their way on the perimeter with the um, Los Angeles Lakers. That's the one weakness for the Los Angeles Lakers is their perimeter defense and sometimes lack of shooting, you know, on offense. But we've seen, you know, some very talented point guards and shooting guards, you know, give the Lakers problems at times. And I would not be shocked if Jamal Murray has a great playoff series. Also, Michael Porter Jr., He's the biggest X factor, in my opinion, for this Denver Nuggets team. I would say that if Michael Porter Jr. can average over 15 points per game during this series versus the Lakers, the Nuggets have a very good chance to pull off the upset because this guy is their big-time spark plug off the bench. He's excellent. He's a very good young player. He's a very good shooter, natural scorer. If Michael Porter Jr. has a very good series for the Denver Nuggets, then they have a great chance to beat the Lakers. And last but not least, Nikola Jokic is going to have to outplay Anthony Davis. If Nikola Jokic outplays Anthony Davis, that gives the Nuggets a huge advantage over the Lakers. And if those couple of things happen, I would not be shocked if the Nuggets pull off the upset. But I'm going to go with the Lakers in six games over the Nuggets. And I'm going to say one more thing before I end this little segment right here. The Los Angeles Lakers are not going to blow a bunch of leads to this Denver Nuggets team. LeBron James is a much more better floor general and point guard and leader of a team than one Kawhi Leonard and Donovan Mitchell. We saw the Jazz and the um, Clippers at times blow some leads to this Denver Nuggets team. Denver is a very resilient team, and they're not going to go down without a fight. If the Lakers go up by 10 to 12 points, don't for one second think the game is over because Denver, they've shown the ability to come back on these teams and steal away games during the playoffs. But I trust LeBron James to control the tempo down the stretch, to make sure the lead is safe, and to close the deal if the Lakers are up by double digits late in these games, okay? So, with all those things being said, I'm going to pick the Los Angeles Lakers to beat the Denver Nuggets in six games during the 2020 Western Conference Finals, and I believe LeBron James makes his 10th NBA Finals appearance in 2020. So, yep, there you have it right there. I believe that the Los Angeles Lakers will beat the Denver Nuggets 
in the Western Conference Finals. But that's pretty much all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate all you guys that watch and tune into the show. Be sure to follow me on social media. Links in the description. I will be dropping an hour-long episode next week at some point. We'll, be, we'll probably be talking some college football, some NFL, some NBA, all that great stuff. It's been Jamal McKinney. Have a God-blessed day. And I'm out, everyone. Thank you so much for watching this video today. Please also note that the Juice Alert Sports Podcast is not just a YouTube channel. It is available on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this video, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share this content with all your friends. This podcast is my favorite thing in the entire world right now. It is my passion. I want more people to listen to this podcast. I really want this podcast to grow. Also, a fun fact about me is that I want to go into the sports broadcasting and media world once I graduate from the University of Toledo, a college in Northern Ohio. I currently am a freshman there right now. I am looking to become one of the next great sports broadcasters and analysts out in the world. And I potentially would like to start my own network if this podcast really truly grows. Or if I fall short of that goal, I would love to work for a big time network like ESPN or Fox Sports 1. I am open to all networks. So if you believe in my dreams and you see or hear my passion through the screen, be sure to tell all your friends about the Juice Alert Sports Podcast. Stay motivated, you guys. Have a God-blessed day, and I'm out. Thank you.